Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing Ashley and that powerful reminder of the gift it is of knowing Jesus and letting him be central to our lives. Well, hello. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Maddie Clevenger, and I'm on pastoral. Hey. Hey. And I'm on pastoral staff here with Chi Alpha at UVA. And I'm so excited tonight to be continuing in our series, The Crown and the Cross, a series to the book of Mark. And I don't know about you, but this series has held a lot of timely truths um, for my walk with Jesus, and I hope tonight holds the same for you. But before we get there, I should probably introduce myself a little more. I graduated from UVA in 2020 with a degree in religious studies and kinesiology. And so I sat in your seats. Yeah, there's a few of us out there. Um, I sat in your seats not many years ago. I'm also from the 757... Anybody? Nice. Great. Um, I am from Williamsburg, Virginia. So, hey, yes. Um, And so, honestly, I love being grouped in with uh, Virginia Beach and Chesapeake, but they're a little bit cooler than us. We do our own thing in Williamsburg. Many of you might know Williamsburg because you thought about going to William & Mary or maybe just from your history books. But for me, it's home. And one of my favorite parts of growing up in Williamsburg was the summer, and specifically my summer swim team. I was a proud member of the Windsor Forest Frogs. I think we have a picture in the middle. That's me. This is circa 2004. I'm probably six at this point. Um, And I loved swimming. I joined the Windsor Forest Frogs as a tadpole at age three. Um, And I spent many, many hours at the pool after that, just really loving swimming. Um, And in that moment, I'm kind of anti-goggles, but eventually I found my goggles and I found my competitive side. I think we have another picture of that moment. And I just swam my heart out. Um, You can see me checking out where that girl is. Um, And so I loved being a part of this team. It was fun. It was just playful until the King's Mill meet. You see, the Kingsmill Sharks were our biggest rivals. This huge neighborhood had swimmers that dominated the entire peninsula. And then there was us, the frogs. We were smaller, our reputation did not precede us, but we had heart. And so the meet is winding down, and it's really close. It's all coming down to the last event, the relays. Tensions are high, but Coach Matt, a.k.a. Head Frog, is calm, cool, and collected. Meanwhile, for me, I'm chilling. I'm eating a hot dog and pasta salad. I have swam my events. My work here is done. Or so I thought. As they're setting up the relays, Coach Matt comes up to me with a request. He says, Madeline, we want you to swim the butterfly portion of the medley relay. We need to win, and we think that you can do it. I know there's some swimmers in the room from that reaction. Let me take a moment to explain something to you. At the time, I'm eight years old. My division swims 25 meters. I just go straight down the pool. I dive in, I swim my little heart out for 20 seconds, and it's over. 
But in the relays, each swimmer swims 50 meters, meaning we go down and back. And so here I am being asked to swim double the normal length. Now, Coach Matt tells me that I'm set to go third, that the two people in front of me are supposed to give me a lead, and that I'm basically just not supposed to lose it, and the freestyler will come in at the end and end it. But don't worry, they say, the whole team will be cheering you on. And I think they said this to comfort me, but all my little eight-year-old self heard was we want you to swim twice as long, 1v1, in front of tons of screaming people who desperately want to win. My little eight-year-old heart was overwhelmed. I didn't want to get up there in front of all these people and watch, let them watch me swim, especially trying something new. But also, what was I supposed to do? The team needed me. And Coach Matt promised me an ice cream cone, no matter the result. So when I walk up to the block a little bit later, my heart is pounding. This is the last event, and it's all coming down to this. The only thing I really remember behind the block was you need to be the fastest you have ever been. And so the girl in front of me is finishing her lap. She's coming to the wall. I get down on the block. I dive in. And I am so scared that as soon as I hit the water, I just shut my eyes. I was like, I'm just going to swim as, lo- as fast as I can and not worry about what's happening. I didn't open them until I was leaving the opposite wall heading back. And the only thing I saw was that other girl charging down the pool. And so I promptly shut my eyes and I just kept going. And eventually, it's over. I get out, and I get on the, behind the blocks to watch. And the race comes down to the final touch. And then Trish Rice, one of our team moms, who's timing the event, turns and says, you did it! Your relay has won! She is jumping up and down. She comes and hugs me. The team is cheering. We have done it. We have won the event, and we have won the meet. The frogs have beaten the sharks. It was an incredible moment for my team and my neighborhood. Yes, thank you. Great. (sighs) But it was also an incredibly important moment for me. In that moment, I went from the shy little eight-year-old girl that no one knew to the butterfly girl who helped win the relay and the meet. And it's all because Coach Matt saw me. He saw how my butterfly was improving, he saw my hours in practice, and he gave me a chance. He saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And I think we've all had moments like this, a moment where we were seen in a really beautiful way, Maybe someone called something out of us, or maybe you just did something really awesome. Many of you, as UVA students, were known as some of the smartest and brightest in your classes growing up. Some of you might have been selected for the lead in your school play, or to be your sports team captain, or uh, to lead your debate team. Many of you held leadership roles, and some of you even completed an Eagle Scout project, or led a section of marching band, or even got selected for state choir. The list goes on. And these are all wonderful things to be known for. We hope that people see us as smart and competent and accomplished. Some of us really take joy in being the funny one that can make anyone laugh. And some of us simply just want to be known as a reliable friend or a son or daughter who honors their parents. 
and there are many, many things that we hope to be known for. However, there are also things we don't want to be known for. We don't want to be known as the person on crutches or in chronic pain. We don't want to be known as the person who just got broken up with, who didn't get into the major of our choice, who didn't make the acapella group, who's struggling with an addiction, whose parents are going through a divorce. This is real and heavy stuff. And this is stuff that we often try to hide. We push these things away because they feed our shame and make us feel weak, vulnerable, or even unworthy of being seen. For many of you in the room, you may look around grounds and you realize that you don't look like other students on your hall or in your discussion. And you maybe start to wonder, do people notice me for more than just the color of my skin? Am I known for just my race or ethnicity? Or can I be known for the fullness of who I am, my hobbies, passions, family background, all of it? And then there's sometimes that we wonder if we're seen at all. Many of you just got to UVA a couple of weeks ago. Your parents dropped you off and went home. There's no one checking in on you getting enough hours of sleep or eating three meals a day or even checking that you're going to class. You may feel like a tiny fish in a really big pond. Our PVCC students in the room, as you come and go each day from campus, you may wonder, does anyone see you? And this is why I love our passage tonight. It is one that reminds us of a timely truth. Jesus sees the one. He sees you, and he knows you. And so as I say that, you might be wondering, what does it mean that God knows me? What does he know about me? How does he feel about me? And these are great questions that our text tonight is going to touch on. So you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. If you still need some, there are some back on the hospitality table as you came in. You're more than welcome to grab one, write in it, and keep it forever. And as you turn, I want to let you know we are in for a special treat tonight. Our passage in Mark is one of Mark's many sandwiches. It's a story that's wrapped up in another story. And Mark does this in his gospel to invite readers into the story itself. He doesn't want us to just read it on the page. He wants us to feel it. And so we'll see a lot of action verbs in our passage. Seeing, touching, hearing. Mark wants you to feel the story tonight. And so we are going to jump in, starting with Mark 5, starting in verse 21. It says, When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. We're going to pause here. Our story begins by telling us that Jesus and his disciples have just come in to shore. They are approaching the Jewish shoreline after being out on the boat. And people are on the beach packed in. They're shoving and knocking into each other. Some of them are trying to see Jesus and others just because of the sheer number of people on this beach. You see, the people had started to hear about Jesus. By this point in Mark, he has healed the sick, 
He has calmed the storm, and he has even cast out evil spirits. Word about him is going around, and so the people gather on the beach to see what this guy is all about. And as I pictured this, the image that I kept coming back to in my mind was a huddle of emperor penguins. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about, but around the same time as that swim meet in third grade, I was obsessed with penguins. So here's your penguin fact of the day. During the winter, during mating season, thousands of emperor penguins will form a huge huddle to protect their eggs from the cold and the wind. They squish together to the point where they can't even move one foot without setting off a chain reaction like a set of dominoes. And so Mark's going to refer to this uh, large crowd a couple times tonight. And when when he does, I want you to think of this crowd of penguins. This is how packed people are on this beach to see Jesus because they've heard of what he's done. Now out of that crowd, we are told that one man makes it through. His name is Jairus. He pushes through the crowd, and when he sees Jesus, he falls to his feet. You see, his little daughter is at home dying. So he pleads with Jesus to please come with him and touch her so that she may live. He's heard a little bit about Jesus, and he thinks that he can be the one to heal his daughter. It's this heartbreaking, powerful moment of a father who is desperate to see his daughter well. However, there's also something else I want to know about Jairus. He's not just any grieving father. Mark tells us that he is one of the synagogue leaders. While not a rabbi, he may have helped with services. He was known in this community, and he probably had significant wealth. And so Jairus is a man of honor, distinction, and prestige. Everyone in the community would know him. And so to see him come and fall at Jesus' feet would have spoken loudly to them about Jairus' desperation and him taking this moment of humility to humble himself before the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't have a great parallel for this today, but take a moment with me. I want you to picture the amphitheater and the South Lawn at a class change at noon, right? There's people coming from all different directions. People are coming from comm school trying to get to Newcomb. People are coming up the amphitheater after uh, meeting for lunch. There's people at the food trucks. There are people everywhere. And now I want you to picture that you're standing at the top of the amphitheater right in front of Garrett Hall. You are right in the mix with everyone else. Do you feel me? You see what's happening? And I want you to picture that as you stand there, Tony Bennett, our men's basketball coach, runs down from the lawn, comes straight up to your feet, throws himself down, and pleads for you to come with him. He has some sort of issue that he believes that you can be the one to solve. And now picture, immediately heads would turn. People would stop because Tony Bennett is a big deal around here. And so whatever he's asking of you, whether people know you or not, your neighbors are probably going to be like, you need to go with him right now. Do you know who that is? That's Tony Bennett. Whatever he's asking of you, please go do it. And I imagine the disciples and the other Jewish people on the shore say something similar to Jesus when they see Jairus. So Jesus goes with him, the penguin crowd following and pressing around him. Let's see what happens. Picking back up in verse 25, scripture says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. We're going to pause here. Now we enter story two. As this large crowd continues, Mark points out a single woman. Out of everyone there, he picks out one woman. Because he does, I want to point out three things about her. The first, unlike Jarius, this woman is unnamed. We're not told anything about her, not her name, not her position in the community. She is unnamed. She's also unclean. The only identifier that we have in the passage for this woman is that she has been bleeding for 12 years. While the passage does not directly say, many believe that her condition is related to uterine bleeding. Essentially, this woman has had period-like bleeding for 12 years. First of all, that's a really long time. For most of you in this room, that is over half your life, even maybe closer to a third of it. This woman has been physically suffering for a long time. And second, for her, the effects of this condition go much further than physical. You see, the Jewish law at the time had a lot of rules about women who were on their period. Basically, if the woman touched you, or her clothes touched you, or your clothes touched her clothes, you would be made ceremonially unclean. She had the power to take your cleanliness away. And this cleanliness meant access not only to worship, but into the social life of the whole community. And so for this woman, in the past 12 years, since there's not been a minute that she hasn't been bleeding, she has been ceremoniously unclean, meaning she has been cut off from her religious and social life for that entire time. It's likely that no one has spoken to, touched, or even sat near this woman in 12 years years. If she was married, she was quickly divorced, although she probably wasn't. She wasn't able to have children or a family or even be around people. Talk about things that you don't want to be known for. This woman's condition is confusing, it is embarrassing, and it is all-encompassing. Basically, this woman is the most isolated, lonely, shamed woman in her society. So what a sharp contrast between her and Jairus. The last thing that we are told about this woman is that she is desperate for healing. Mark mentions her suffering three different times in this passage. This woman has tried and tried and nothing can fix her condition. She's tried to the point where she has spent everything that she has And so when she gets to this moment, she is desperate to be well. And if that's not bad enough, Mark tells us that her condition only grew worse as she sought out these these cures. So not only is her physical condition getting after her, so are the things that are trying to help her and heal her. She is hopeless, she is in desperate need, and she is powerless to do anything about it. And then she hears about Jesus. Similar to Jairus above, she's heard something of Jesus and she believes that he can restore her. And so she makes this plan to wiggle up through the crowd to get behind Jesus and to just touch his cloak. And we see in our passage that she does that, that she makes her way through and she touches Jesus. So let's keep reading to see what happens as she does. 
Verse 29 says, Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Wow, what a miracle. What a day for this woman. She is instantly healed as she touches Jesus' cloak. This is probably the single greatest moment of this woman's life. A day and a moment that she maybe never thought would come. And it has come. So wow, what a great moment for this woman. Story two done. Love it. Thanks, Mark, for the reminder of Jesus' power. We can pick right back up with Jairus and his daughter. Except this woman's story isn't over. We read on in verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Who touched me? Jesus asked twice. Imagine this woman's confusion as she hears these words of Jesus. She thinks, what? How can he possibly know? I just went up and touched his jacket. How does he know that someone came up? How does he know that someone has touched him? Although she executed her plan to a T, you see that Jesus, our passage tells us that Jesus stops because he knows that power has gone out from him. In in the word tonight, the Greek word dunamis is used, meaning power, where we get the word dynamite from. It's used for the first time in Mark. Jesus feels this healing happen, except this time he doesn't know who he's healed. It's a super weird moment for Jesus as well. And meanwhile, the disciples think he's lost his mind. Despite being on an urgent mission with the most important person in town, Jesus pauses in this penguin-like crowd to say, who touches me? The disciples are basically like, Jesus, look around. You're being touched constantly. What's your problem? Plus, remember who we're with. This is Jairus. His daughter is dying. We're on a mission. We need to go. But Jesus doesn't seem to be in a hurry. He continues to ask, who touched me? And as he does, this woman starts to begin. She knows from the very instant that he asked that she is the one that Jesus is talking to. You know that feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach when you know someone is speaking to you? As Jesus keeps asking who touched me, this woman, that feeling grows. She knows in this crowd of hundreds and with plenty of people touching Jesus, she knows that he's talking about her. But can you imagine the position that she finds herself in? How is she supposed to come forward? Let's review the facts. One, she's not supposed to be there because she's unclean. Two, she has entered into the crowd, touched plenty of people, and made them unclean. Three, she has now touched Jesus, the cleanest of the clean people, making him unclean. And four, she now thinks that she might have stolen power from Jesus because he seems to not know what's happened. Going forward is the last thing that this woman wants to do. I mean... Would you? Would you want to step forward and and tell Jesus, yep, it's me, I've made you unclean in this whole crowd, I've stolen power from you? I know I certainly wouldn't. And so this woman has a decision to make. 
She doesn't know what Jesus will do or what he will say if she comes forward, but she knows that he's talking about her. And so let's finish the woman's story. In verse 33, it says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. We're going to pause here. In Luke's telling of the story, it says that she realizes she can't go unnoticed. And so the woman comes forward. She too, just like Jairus, comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And she tells him her story. The whole truth. She doesn't tell him the filtered version that she might put on Instagram or the spark notes or hit the facts without the feelings. She tells him everything. Not only him, remember, this is not a one-on-one moment that she's getting with Jesus. Like Tony Bennett at the amphitheater, this woman is telling this whole crowd her story as she tells Jesus. She says, yep, I'm the girl with the bleeding issue. I'm the one who's physically been struggling, struggling for 12 years. I've tried everything. Nothing's working. It's actually looking worse. I'm also the one who's an outcast. I'm unclean. And so sorry, now so are you. Yes, even you, Jesus, I'm the one who touched your cloak. This is me. I'm her. There's no fluff. There's nothing commendable or honorable to put forward before Jesus to balance out these harsh truths. She didn't lead her swim team to victory. She wasn't accepted into UVA. She wasn't named program director at Madison House or RA. She didn't get into the comm school or the global development studies major. She didn't get an A in orgo or write a beautiful thesis. She hasn't done anything. And can I admit that the first time I heard this story, I cringed. I thought, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Hasn't this woman been through enough? Why can't you just let her go in peace? And I think this is a valid reaction because if what Jesus does in this moment is just to call her out or for humiliation or even just to see her, it feels pretty cruel. So why did Jesus have her come forward? I think that Jesus in this moment cares more than about this woman's body. He cares about her soul. Jesus takes a moment entertaining this interruption in Jairus' story to speak to this woman's identity. Here's this woman that people haven't been, haven't even dared to be around for 12 years. No one has touched her or come near her. They saw her as beyond hope, an outcast, and without value, if they saw her at all. But Jesus takes a moment out of this crowd to stop and to talk with this woman. He stops to let her know that he sees her. Tonight, as we continue to see the power of the king continue, we have our first glimpse into the heart of our king. Jesus sees the one. He lets this woman know that he sees her. Though the world may not see her value, though they may never see her value, Jesus says, I do. He tells her that she is worthy of being seen and stopping this crowd for Not only that, he tells her how he sees her, he calls her daughter. 
As she lays it all before Jesus, her whole story, she probably expects to be scolded or sent away or maybe even banished. But instead, after sharing her whole story with Jesus, where he sees her messiness and brokenness on display, he says, I choose you. You are my daughter. He then pronounces a blessing over her by telling her to go in peace. And this isn't a nice way of sending her away or a way of saying see ya. It's a restoration of shalom, of true deep peace. It's a restoration to the created order of things, how things are supposed to be, not only in this woman's body, but in her soul. And tonight, here in the SAB on September 18th in 2023, I believe that God wants to say the same thing to you. First, he sees you. Yes, you, and you, and you. In this room of hundreds, he sees you. And he says that he knows you and your unique story, that he knows the things that you hope people see and notice and know you for. And he also sees all that you wish to stay hidden. He sees you fully tonight. Now you might hear this and think, he probably sees the guy or girl next to me, but maybe not me. Maybe I didn't point as you as I went around. But Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And I want to let you know tonight that you are not the exception. God sees you too. And second, just like he says to the woman, I believe that tonight the Lord says, I see you child. I see you daughter. I see you son. Jesus wants to let you know how he sees you, that you are a beloved child of his That as he knows everything about you, he invites you in close with this familial language. He calls you child. And now I don't know about you, but the first time I heard this, I thought it was too good to be true. I was sitting in an M&L just like you are tonight. It was the spring of my second year of college, and if I'm honest, I was kind of on the struggle bus. Second year had been pretty hard for me. There wasn't one thing like this woman that defined my year and made it hard. There were just a lot of little things that added up. For the first time since coming to college, I experienced real and deep hurt from friends, and I hurt friends. I watched two of my roommates fight and not want to be friends anymore, let alone roommates. I took a class about the neuroscience of exercise. I'm a kinesiology major, remember? And it was pretty cool. But we also spent a lot of time talking about Parkinson's disease, just as two close people in my life began to really wrestle with the side effects of this terrible disease. And for most of my life, I had been known as the girl who had it all together, who was smart and composed and friendly. From the outside, in this moment, nothing had really changed. But on the inside that year, I felt really weak and powerless and incredibly small. I couldn't resolve my friend's conflict or heal the people in my life with Parkinson's. I wrestled with my own sin and brokenness and its effects on others. I was anxious, anxious and afraid, wondering that if I told the people around me how I felt, if they would still want to be my friend, 
if I would be enough for them. And then I heard this woman's story. I'd probably read it a number of times, but before that, but that night I heard it. I knew that as the person shared from the stage that they were talking to me, that I had projected these feelings that I felt of wondering if I was enough or wondering if what God thought about me straight from my earthly relationships to God. And it was through this passage that God spoke loudly against the lies I believed about him and myself to say, I see you, daughter. Even when I felt like a mess and he saw that, he still called me daughter. And to this day, it's a passage that I turn to often to be reminded of the simple yet powerful truth. To be clear, he cares deeply about my sin and brokenness, the idols that I create, and the lies that I believe. But as I confess those to him, he doesn't cringe or hide or choose not to associate with me. He still sees me, and he calls me daughter. Now, before we fully move into our response, Jesus, there is a second story to finish. Jesus is not quite done. And we aren't going to spend too long on this, but I do want to read it together to finish this initial story. During this delay, you can imagine that while it's beautiful that God sees this woman, Jairus is probably wondering if God still sees him and remembers his daughter at home. So we are going to finish his story tonight. Starting with verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Do not be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood and began to walk around. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The whole reason that Jesus is following Jairus, that he finds himself in that crowd that day, immediately goes away at the announcement that Jairus' daughter has died. But Jesus says, I'm coming anyways, and continues to follow Jairus home. When he gets there, he tells those mourning loudly that the child is simply asleep. And it's a really weird thing for Jesus to say, to the point that they even laugh at him. But at parallel accounts of the story in Matthew and Luke make it clear that Jesus understands that she's dead. She's not mostly dead or almost dead. This little girl has died. And Jesus walks in, he keeps going, he crouches down next to her bed, he takes her hand, and he says, Talitha kum. And you see this term Talitha that he says next is translated little girl. It's in term of endearment, almost like honey or sweetie. 
When I was little, my dad used to come into my room and he would say, good morning, sunshine. It was a sweet way that he welcomed me back into reality after a night of sleep. And Jesus does the same thing here with Jairus' daughter, except this time she's not sleeping, she's dead. But here's Jesus faced with death, the greatest enemy of humankind, and such is his power that he reaches down, takes her hand, tells her to get up, and then gently lifts this girl to her feet. Like it's nothing. This is amazing. Jesus literally raises this girl from the dead. Mark tells us that at this, the people were completely astonished. And when I read that, I say, yeah, wouldn't you be too? They have watched Jesus raise this girl from the dead. The dead. She is not sick. She is dead. But Jesus comes and with a gentle and kind, powerful hand, he lifts her right back up. One commentator said, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, if I have you by the hand, death is nothing but sleep. This is a powerful picture that's consistent with what Jesus has been up to, calming the storms, driving out spirits, uh, healing illnesses that no one else can heal, heal, and now raising someone from the dead. This is amazing. And Jesus, even afterwards, acts like it's not a big deal. He says, she's like walking around doing her thing, and he tells her parents just to get her something to eat. Like it's a normal morning or a normal evening whenever we find ourselves that she just needs her next meal. And so I'd like to welcome the worship team back up quietly. Um, And as we move towards closing, uh, you might be wondering, what does this mean for you tonight? Why is this good news that God sees you? And as I thought about this message, I thought about Jim Ryan. Thought about Jim Ryan's plan for UVA. That in 10 years, UVA, he desires to be the best public university in the country. And even more than that, he wants to do one of the best anywhere. He calls it the great and good plan. He wants UVA to be great and excellent in all it does and good to its community. And it's an admirable plan. But when I hear those words, great and good, I know that the only one who is truly great and truly good is Jesus. And this is the good news tonight. The one who sees you is truly great and he's truly good. His authority and power are great. We have seen this on display. He has shown his authority over the seas and the storms of our lives. He has shown his authority over impure spirits, over illness, and even over death. No matter any circumstance we face, we can trust that his power is enough. And also, his character is good. I love these two stories of Jesus because they give us a glimpse into the tender heart of our God. He sees you. He calls you child. And he offers you shalom, a deep peace from knowing who you are as his child. And each time I read the gospels, I'm tempted to think, oh man, what would it be like if Jesus was just right here, right now where I am? But I have some more good news for you tonight. I believe that he is. E. Stanley Jones, in his book, Christ of the Indian Road, says Jesus is God somewhere, and God 
is Jesus everywhere. As you see the heart of Jesus in this passage, you see God's heart. This is the heart of our King. And this is the heart that he has for you tonight. And we believe that he is here. So how do we respond to this news? I have three encouragements for you. One is for tonight, and then the other two are for the rest of this week. And so tonight, I think the invitation that we find before ourselves is to come before Jesus and to let ourselves be known. To come forward and tell him the whole truth. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to meet with God. Because it's one thing if I stand up here and I tell you this, but it's another for God to come and take this information in your head that yes, I'm seen and yes, I'm a child and to move it from just information in your head to a revelation in your heart. So this could look like taking a moment to stop and pray. If you brought a journal or a notebook tonight, this could look like taking a moment to write to Jesus. Whatever method you take, I encourage you um, to take a moment to tell him about all of the things, to tell him about your story, to tell him about the things that you hope no one notices about you and the things that you hope that you wonder if anyone sees at all. Some of you in this room of this size are facing great disappointment. Maybe this week you are the person that just got broken up with. Or maybe you're trying to pick a new major after you didn't get into yours last semester. I don't know what these disappointments may be that you face, but along with them often come fear and insecurity. At least I know that's true for me. And others of you tonight may just be wrestling with your own sin and brokenness. And tonight is a chance to come before Jesus and to lay those things before his feet, to confess them to him. Whatever it is that you need to share tonight with Jesus, he invites you to come and to bring it all. There is no sin too dark, no shame too much, no question too big. Nothing will disqualify you from this invitation of Jesus to just like the woman step out and be known by him. And I want to acknowledge that this isn't easy. If you come with fear and trembling, you're in good company. This woman knew the risk that she was taking, and she knew it well. But also, the one who sees you tonight is great and good, just like the one who saw her. And I believe that as you step out, Jesus will step out in this moment to meet you. And as you do, there will be pastoral staff in the back and around the room to pray with you as well. And so that is what we are going to take a moment to do tonight. But I also have two encouragements briefly for this week. My first is to move into community and be known. Tim Keller, a pastor and theologian, once said, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being known by God. We need it more than anything. And I want to tell you tonight, whether you've been in a court for years or whether you're just looking at it from the outside or maybe you just came to college or transferred and found yourself in one. This is why we do core groups, that we would be fully known in community and remind each other that God sees us. And so I encourage you this week to take a step deeper into being known in your community. 
This could mean sharing vulnerably in highs and lows at core group or in prayer requests. Or maybe you grab a meal or coffee with someone in your core group or a leader to get to know them more deeply, to be known, and let them be known as well. My last encouragement for tonight is to tell others. Just as fully and personally as God knows you, God knows the people that you pass every day. And if you know this good news tonight, if you say, yes, I know that God sees me and that he knows me, maybe your takeaway tonight is to share that. Imagine how different our university and our world would look if each person knew that they too are seen by this God and a child of this glorious King. So the worship team is going to play quietly for a couple of minutes to give you time to meet with Jesus. And then they will begin to play our closing song. At that time, you're welcome to stand and sing along. And you're also welcome to keep journaling and talking to Jesus or to find a core group member or a staff member to pray with, however you want to respond in this moment. And then I'll be up to close us. Yes, King Jesus, as we close tonight, God, we thank you that you are a God of glory, that you are the king of all power and authority, the king who is worthy of praise. And Lord, we are also so grateful that you are the king who sees each one of us, that you look at us in the mess and brokenness that we bring, Lord, and you say, I call you child. And Lord, tonight I pray that each of us as we go from this place would be reminded throughout this week, God, that we are known deeply by you. I pray that that would change the way that we see the people around us as well, Lord, that we would step out and be known in community, that we would be lights to this university that so desperately needs to know that they too are children of this glorious King. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your powerful and good name that we pray tonight. Amen. Now for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace. Shalom as you are known by him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have a wonderful week following Jesus, and we'll see you all back next week. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.